with a voice for television, it's Captain Murphy, of whom Jacobin Magazine once said Jesus fucking Christ, and socked him Twitter's R.I.P.M. called a coward. Rest in power, brother. But who is Captain Murphy? I'm the Dr. Manhattan of neighbor Scientology, a professor of custodial class struggle, Nintendo fan, quantum wizard, and all-around weirdo, welcoming you to Leftendo the voice of the gaming proletariat, and reminding you that America has over 2.2 million imprisoned people, the highest incarceration rate in human history. They want to build a wall because the whole of the United States is super jail. Facts. 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 Every week on Leftendo, we perform a holy ritual in nihilist navel-gazing so as not to succumb to the in this eco-disco inferno. As ever, I'm coming to you from somewhere below the briny deep where phosphorescent wonders never cease and men fear to tread. Tonight, I'm drinking a Wicked Grove Cinnamon Cider. It tastes like Frankenmuth. Delicious. Along with it, I'm vaping Chubby Fruit Vapes Kiwi Melon 6 milligram. Mm. Or as I like to call it, Killing Me Softly Juice. And an Aspire Nautilus 2 on my 40-watt E-Leaf iStick mod. My fedora is in the mail. It's, it's not slavery if they sign a, a contract. Whoa! This week, episode 5, Stormy Toadette. On this episode, The Messenger Fucking Rules, Correspondence from the Great Robot War, and The Divine Right of Billionaires. This week marks the 10th anniversary of bankers stealing millions of homes away from the proletariat by committing society-wide fraud without any consequence whatsoever. Thanks, Obama! Anyway, let's dive into The News! Recently uncovered documents reveal that since at least 1982, ExxonMobil and Royal Dutch Shell knew that carbon emissions were destroying the planet. Quote, In the 1980s, oil companies like Exxon and Shell carried out internal assessments of the carbon dioxide released by fossil fuels and forecast the planetary consequences of these emissions. In 1982, for example, Exxon predicted that by 2060, CO2 levels would reach around 560 parts per million, double the pre-industrial level, and that this would push the planet's average temperature up by about 2 degrees Celsius over then current levels, and even more compared to pre-industrial levels. Later that decade, in 1988, an internal report by Shell predicted similar effects but also found that CO2 could double even earlier, by 2030. Shell's analysts also warned of the disappearance of specific ecosystems or habitat destruction, predicting an increase in runoff, destructive floods, and inundating of low-lying farmland, and said that new sources of fresh water would be required to compensate for changes in precipitation. Global changes in air temperature would also drastically change the way people live and work. All told, Shell concluded the changes may be the greatest in recorded fucking history. End quote. This revelation comes after claiming for decades that carbon emissions had no effect on climate and we were merely experiencing a natural cycle, like the seasons or the Democrats appealing to and backstabbing the poor. And yet we still have not strung their board of directors up on a tree in the town square. It's a mad world. Thrilling Nintendo fans across the world and getting Mario Kart trending on Twitter this week, porn angel among women, Stormy Daniels revealed that El Presidente Cheeto's grotesque shriveling cock looks like the Mushroom Kingdom's very own fail son, Toad. Really imagine it. 
do it. Let this be a sign of hope to sad, horny Nintendo fanboys everywhere. Porn stars play Mario Kart 2! The cannibalistic cult known by uninitiated bloodbags as Sony announced the PlayStation Mini this week. So, Mr. Yoshido, you're playing catch up with Nintendo now. <laughs> Coming out this winter for $999.99, 20 games were promised, but only 5 were revealed, including Final Fantasy VII, Ridge Racer Type 4, Tekken 3, Jumping Flash, and the only one I care about, Wild Arms, which, if you haven't played it, is a wonderful little RPG with Western elements. No Bandicoot, no Resident Evil, no Tomb Raider? I could add no Klonoa, but no one fucking cares about Klonoa except me and uh, Chili Gambino on uh, Twitter. <laughs> if you really want to sell these, you need to fix that. You need Bandicoot, you need Resident Evil, you need fucking Tomb Raider. Nintendo's mini consoles, especially the SNES Mini, have amazing libraries. With the recent release of the SNK Mini, it seems Nintendo has set a bona fide new trend in high-end plug-in plays. I can't wait to play my Apple Bandai Pippin and Game Duck Minis in the near future. Google it. Telltale Games unexpectedly shut down this week, which is weird because they had just days ago announced that Batman The Enemy Within was coming to the Switch in early October. This leads this humble communist supervillain to speculate that the closure was sudden and without warning to the 250 employees that got laid off. As Sloth Mother at Casey Explosion wisely declared in response to this news on Twitter, unionize the games industry. I could not agree more. Anyway, new business out of the way, I have failed you, my loyal Silabian shock troops, by committing two errors in episode 4, so I'd like to erase them and expand a little on the online service. First, the errors. One unforgivable, one totally understandable. First, the unforgivable. I called Isabel Isabella. Please forgive me, my children. Please. But, um, between you and me, I still want to pound her sweet ass. Er, <coughs> her ass, I'm sorry. Ugh. Anyway. In my defense, I haven't played a real Animal Crossing game since the OG DS title, Wild World. Even though I got hyped and played it for a couple weeks, Pocket Camp don't count. Then again, maybe you didn't notice, but your brain did. And now the understandable. Technically, they did reveal the full 20 games that launched with the online service, but they showed not told, so I didn't really notice. To set the record straight, let's go over them all now. Right now, you can gain access to these NES titles on the Nintendo Switch online service. Balloon Fight, Baseball, Donkey Kong, Double Dragon, Dr. Mario, Excite Bike, Ghosts and Goblins, Gradius, Ice Climber, Ice Hockey, The Legend of Zelda, Mario Bros, Pro Wrestling, River City Ransom, Soccer, Super Mario Bros, Super Mario Bros 3, Tecmo Bowl, Tennis, and Yoshi. Additionally, they reveal that they are going to release about three new titles a month. In October, we'll get Solomon's Key, Ness Open, and Super Dodgeball. November will bring Metroid, Mighty Bomb Jack, and Twinbee. In December, Nintendo will add Wario's Woods, Ninja Gaiden, and Adventures of Lulu. Amazingly, you must be connected to the internet at least once a week to keep these NES titles. Miss a week and boom, they're gone. How progressive. In regards to the NES Bluetooth controllers, yet another snag has been revealed. 
Not only will only those with the online service be able to buy them, but they will literally only work with those Nintendo online service titles. So if you wanted to play, say, The Messenger with a NES controller, you're shit out of luck, bub. Which seems pretty fucking weird. Even weirder, though much more reported, the online service cloud saves only work for most titles. Huge games like Splatoon 2 will not have saves backed up in the cloud because, as Nintendo claims, we want to prevent item duplication and cheating. Yet both Xbone and PS4 back up all games and don't have major cheating issues as a result. How bizarre. I am currently in the midst of a free trial of the service and all I can say is, not impressed. Don't get me wrong, it's fun to play these classic NES games. I cherish my Famicom collection. But with only a few currently available titles really worth actual money like Mario 3 and River City Ransom, and my lack of games that need online play, I don't think I'm going to keep it. When I get around to acquiring Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, I'll certainly pick it up, but only because I have to. And perhaps when Metroid comes out, I will. It's only $20, and I never finished Metroid. Now that continues to be the thing, though. The it's only $20 argument, and while it's true that's not much, I is poor, and dear sea monkeys, I know you're poors too. Even at $20, I want something to come out of it that's more than a lackluster NES collection. You know what I think they should have done? Release the NES collection for novelty and a little value, but then add just one high-budget, either rare or extremely popular SNES game to sweeten the pot and telegraph that SNES is coming. That would have gone a long way to helping this get off the ground. Now, we all want Chrono Trigger or maybe Sunset Riders. Google it, kids. But more realistically, a Nintendo first-party SNES title like Super Metroid or Donkey Kong Country 3 would have been excellent. Not Super Mario World or Kart, though. That's, that's kind of played out. But I digress. Right now, the online service ain't for me. If you play Splatoon 2 or Mario Kart, though, get it. Not because you want to, but because you have to. Ugh. But, all that out of the way, now it's time for what I've been playing this week. Well, had some nice sales recently, so I picked up a couple games. Let's start. Um, I picked up Cubic, which is uh, no longer on sale. It was on sale for 99 cents, but it's still only $5. If you like challenging puzzle games, uh, I think you'll really enjoy it. It is uh, really well made for such a cheap game. And that's kind of a theme we'll be getting into here in it, you play Cubic, this kind of square-shaped little little dude with a... He has an eye and he has a mouth. And what you do is you eat blocks. Now, each screen will have a certain number of a specific colored blocks that you need to eat. And in order to do that, well, one thing you have to understand about Cubic is he can't jump, he can't climb. Later on, there will be teleports in the game that will help you get back to certain areas. But so the, the point is you have to go... It's kind of like Dig Dug in a way. You have to go through sand blocks, right? And you can eat them, but the goal is to eat all of the certain color. Usually it's like a yellow. And you have to figure out the way you have to go to get to all of them in one go and eat them. Until later on, as I said, when you get teleports and then it becomes even more difficult. Beyond that, it's hard to describe. It's, it's a really solid puzzle game. Totally worth 99 cents and definitely worth $5 if you like puzzle games. So give it a try. That is Cubic. Now, this next game uh, I picked up is still on sale and will continue to be on sale for this wonderfully low price of $3, and it's called The Way Remastered. Now, The Way Remastered is kind of, um, 
It reminds me of a flashback, one of those type of games from the uh, 90s, where it is a puzzle game mixed with a little bit of platforming. I mean, there's, there's certainly some platforming in here, um, and it's actually listed as a platformer, but it's more like a adventure game. And in it, uh, it starts, and this is not a spoiler because it's in like all the trailers and everything. It literally starts at the very beginning, um, the, the, the opening screen when you turn on the game. It starts in a cemetery where you have to dig up your dead wife. And um, when you get into the game, just, just to give you an idea of what the game is about, okay? Your, your wife and you worked for some kind of intergalactic corporation and you were studying ancient ruins on another planet. So she died, um, and the stupid uh, corporation, they'd never get any better in the future here. Oh, I shouldn't say stupid, I'm sorry. They, they send you a crass letter. It was like, oh, we're so sorry for your loss. Of course we'll pay for the funeral. And I don't know if they actually had anything directly to do with her death, but it would not surprise me at all, given the attitude of the protagonist in this game. I haven't gotten far enough to know. But um, you dig up her corpse, and then you actually just carry it to your car, and then drive to your apartment, your futuristic kind of apartment in this dingy kind of vaguely cyberpunk world. And uh, you actually take her dead body upstairs into your apartment and put her in a, like a preservation capsule, like, like you would see in like Star Wars, right? And then um, you get stuff together and then you her the capsule into your uh, big um, truck and you drive it to where your spaceship would be for your corporation. And you're going to, you're going to take her into space. It's clear from the beginning. In order to do that, you need to get the spaceship ready but um you're stealing the spaceship right everyone's gone for the night it's just all kinds of like droids or robots uh robot guards and um surveillance cameras you have to stealthily get around them and uh solve puzzles to get elements you need to get your spaceship ready to launch it's fun. It's a lot of lot of stealth in this particular uh, level, and the next level it's it's more um, more straightforward puzzle solving. Like how do I get through this? You know, and there is a little bit of platforming here and there. Eventually, you get a gun, and it's a very stiff gun. It it, it reminds me again of one of those classic platforming adventure games from the 1990s. I really like the story. I, I didn't mention that the uh, soundtrack is very like haunting. And uh, the graphics are great. The graphics, are, I would say they're about like 12-bit. They're not as sharp as 16-bit, but they're done in such a way that it's really, really, like the backgrounds are beautiful. But the actual like moving parts are kind of like hard to make out specific details. But, you know, as pixels go, it, it's a really like enduring style. And this game is usually $14.99. It came out in Steam like last year, and then they added a bunch of save points and stuff because they... uh had a lot of complaints about that and came out with the remastered version. They added a whole bunch of voice acting. So really, you're playing it for the puzzles and for the story. And for $3, right? For $3, this is a great bargain. So pick up the way remastered if you can. I'm really enjoying it. Moving on. I picked up It'll Do 2 Plus, which is on sale till October 1st for $14.99. Usually $30. Now this is a Zelda clone. It's similar to A Link to the Past. What I want to say about this game is I played the first one on uh, the Wii U and I really, really liked it. I've been wanting to pick up this sequel for quite a while. 
but I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm poor. I'm not going to pay for $30 for it, even, even though it's probably worth it. I would pay $30 for a physical copy, but when I'm downloading something, I want to get it as cheap as fucking possible. So I picked it up. It's just as fun. I, I only played it for a good, like, half hour, but I was already finding, like, secret dungeons, and uh, I got an outfit. It's all very open world. Um, Just think of kind of a, oh, I don't know. Think of Link to the Past with Wind Waker graphics. Of course, it stars uh, It'll Do, or Little Do, I don't know, Um, which is a girl, and with her, like, uh, weird flying fox. The writing's humorous. It's funny. Some of the characters in it are funny, and I feel like once I really get into it, I'm going to have an amazing time with it. It's it's like action RPG. The goal in this particular version is you get stuck on an island and your, your boat is destroyed. So you have to find the pieces of a raft, the only raft on the entire island, and put it together. And you have to go through dungeons to find the pieces. Along the way, you meet all kinds of weird like fruit people, bee things, and just kind of like remixes. Like they took two like real life animals and then smashed them together and made them cartoony and it's just really endearing and I like the writing and I like the gameplay uh, it's just it's a great game and uh, for $14.99 it is really really worth your time but moving on the last new game I got before I start talking about some of the older games I've been playing still is Maggie Cat it is a kawaii cat based platformer that is meant to evoke the 16-bit era it was made by a single Indonesian game dev and it is only $5. And that is not a sale. That is all the time. And I want to tell you this right now, okay? Hollow Knight is one of my favorite games of all time. One of the things I love about it, besides the fact that it's so fucking good on its own, is that it's only $15. That is an immense value. Now, I'm not comparing Maggie Cat to Hollow Knight in terms of gameplay, in terms of polish. But what I am saying is Maggie Cat is a total value for money. Because for $5, you get seven worlds, 63 levels, and many varying enemies. You get lots of boss battles and some fun little puzzles. And it's just, the platforming's great. If you like cute Japanese-y games, and Japanese is not the right word, I suppose, but you know what I'm saying. And you like platformers as much as I do. I love platformers in Metroid. Vanias, that's my two favorite genres, then uh, you will love Magic Cat. And I, I just cannot stress enough that for only $5, the amount of content and fun you get, it's totally worth it. So pick those up. But moving right along, the motherfucking messenger. Now, last week I told you that I believed I had gotten to the point where it opens up because I went into the future. But uh, I was totally wrong. After you defeat the Demon General, then it begins to open up and you begin to have portals everywhere where you can go forwards and backwards in time to solve puzzles and to find new abilities, items, and other things. Including time travel quests where it's like you have to go back in time to pick this up and plant it in the ground and then go forward in time because it takes hundreds of years to grow. And you need this specific item. It's become a Metroidvania proper. Now, a lot of people complain about the fact that it is designed for the first, like, third of the game, I would say, to be a kind of straightforward, linear action platformer. And so, turning it into a Metroidvania is a little weird to them. It does take some time to get through these levels, because they're fairly long levels. But... What they've added when you open up the game is portals in the Tower of Time, which you can access at any shop doorway, which there are throughout all the levels. Through that, you can go through the portals to get to specific levels in the game. It is no longer linear. You can go to a different level if you need to. The other thing that I would say to those naysayers is the gameplay is so fun that I don't care that I have to do a bunch of backtracking because I love the platforming in this game, particularly when I have to get a new power seal. There are these green power seals that are hidden throughout the game 
game and secret challenges that you can find within levels. And those challenges are almost always about some kind of difficult platforming feat. It's loads of fun. I really like it. The, the platforming in this game is just ridiculous. There are certain rooms where you don't have platforms at all. All you have are enemies that fly around. And what you have to do is you have to platform off the enemies as you kill them and get across this really long room where there's no floor at all. And also very difficult. What else? A uh, giant green orc ass, if anyone's interested in that. There are many, many more areas within levels that open up when you get past the demon general. You'll interact with people you've met before in the game again and they'll have changed even though they're in like the same area or something or there's a dragon in the game that you meet that's evil at first but you defeat him and you find out he was cursed and then you find him again later on and a different kind of issue is going on with him i won't spoil that and uh, there's all kinds of things like that i, I don't know i don't know what i, I can say to, to express how much i love the messenger if you don't have it, it's only $20. It's on Nintendo Switch. Um, so uh, just pick it up, all right? Just pick it up. If you like really tight controls, amazing platforming, Metroidvanias, it, really interesting enemies sometimes, then uh, you will love The Messenger. It is really, it is a game of the year contender in my opinion. Moving on, one last game I wanted to talk about very briefly, Kiro Blaster. Now, as you all know, I've talked about Kiro Blaster for a couple weeks now, but I beat it and then I unlocked an entirely new harder mode with remix levels and new enemies, which I basically consider a sequel. And I love that because that means this game has huge value. It's only $10 and you got all these new, basically new levels. Um, there are new enemies in these levels and it's harder. I've got to hand it to Studio Pixel for making such a fun little game with so much content for 10 bucks. It's been a blast. But um, that all out of the way, now it's time for this week's reading series. From the New York Times by Frank Bruni. Is this man the antidote to Donald Trump? Maybe one super rich old white guy from New York can save us from another super rich old white guy from New York. It takes a billionaire to know a billionaire. What if it also takes a billionaire to take down a billionaire? That was the theory behind giving Michael put all the blacks behind prison bars Bloomberg a prime speaking spot at the Democratic National Convention, where his mockery of Donald Trump carried extra zing and sting. And that's the idea. Well, one of the ideas behind Bloomberg's possible bid for the presidency in 2020. You didn't hear? Yeah, I didn't hear. Like, didn't, like, no one's heard you fuckwads talking about Michael Bloomberg running for president for the last fucking 20 years. It was a morsel of news easily missed amid the ceaseless slop from the White House in Capitol Hill. Bloomberg is again thinking about running. And if he forges ahead, he'll compete for the Democratic Party's nomination. To the extent that people I know react to this, it was with a chuckle or eye roll vigorous enough for a corneal abrasion. What most of them said was some version of, oh great, that's just what the voters want and America needs. Another super rich old white guy from New York. Interesting, interesting. He's going to say something different from what his smart friends think. All right, let's see. Let's hear him out. Yeah. But no two super rich old white guys from New York are exactly alike. And these two have little in common, including financially. Trump's net worth, as mysterious as the Yeti, is estimated to be about $3 billion, while Bloomberg supposedly tops $50 billion. Wow! 
wow, let's take a $3 billion error and get in some guy who has $50 billion. That's really going to help the problem. To those of us who make do with fewer zeros and commas, that gap may seem meaningless, but you can fit the annual gross domestic product of North Korea in that. Gotta, gotta put that little jab of North Korea in there. Wow, okay. Bloomberg 76. Jesus Christ. Probably doesn't stand a chance. Well then, why are we fucking talking about this? He has all the va va boom of a ficus tree. Va va boom. What the what the fuck, Frank Bruni? Are you from the fucking twenties or something? All the populism of a Bermuda golf course. What? Oh, okay, I get it. He's saying he's rich. All right, all right. And he's hardly the perfect suitor for a party whose loudest voices are on the left. But if we're going to start putting Democrats' diverse options for 2020 on magazine covers, falling in and out of love with them and floating scenarios sublime and ridiculous, he warrants an iota of oxygen, a small pocket of the breathless speculative space that Corey and Camille and Elizabeth and Beto are taking up. No mention of Bernie there. How how odd, Frank. How odd. I wonder why. I wonder why. And that's not just because he's a serious person of stratospheric accomplishment. Yeah, sure. His name is synonymous with excellence, Nancy Pelosi recently said. Thanks, Nancy. He's also, from a certain angle, the Trump deplorer's dream come true. An answer to prayers for the president's opposite. If there's a Michael in the mix with a few too many of Trump's qualities and the wrong temperament for the job, it's Envenati not Bloomberg. Bloomberg is as insistent on order as Trump is on disorder. As steady as Trump is spastic, Trump won't give us a moment's peace. Bloomberg could lull us to sleep. Politically speaking, we need the REMs. Bloomberg is as prepared. This is exactly what I'm fucking worried about with the stupid Democrat party. They're going to nominate some liberal that changes nothing, does nothing of value, and his whole, his or her whole fucking sales pitch is, I'm normal. I'm the status quo. Trump is too crazy. We need someone who's normal and does nothing but neoliberal bullshit and deregulates marketplaces and privatizes public lands, etc., etc. But, uh, yeah, that's probably what we'll get. Trump operates by gut. Bloomberg demands data and more data. Oh, he's one of those, yeah. I've been listening to the... Uh, I've been listening to Listen Liberal by Thomas Frank, and he goes into great detail about the data-driven innovation liberal and the whole meritocracy bullshit. We do not need more fucking technocrats. We certainly don't need any fucking billionaires. Trump doesn't really have his hand on the wheel. He just wants to be the shiny hood ornament. What an observation. Bloomberg is all pinpoint GPS navigation. Jesus Christ, this is gross. He didn't always steer New York in the right direction. <laughs> really? <laughs> well, there's never been any question that he keeps, he's kept us out of the ditch. Trump is playing midwife to ever more extreme debilitating partisanship. It's hard to envision Bloomberg doing the same. How could he demonize Republicans, independents, or Democrats when he's been a Republican, an independent, and a Democrat? What a guy. <laughs> this is so fucking stupid. And while that may make him appear as ideologically rudderless as Trump, he's not. Many of his core positions and principles, pro-immigration, pro-choice, in favor of free trade, in support of, quote-unquote, 
clean air had been intact for a long while. He's pro-transparency, too. When he was in government, he routinely released his tax returns. Wow. What an amazing man he is. Though his station was always well below the presidency, and there weren't rampant suspicions about untoward influences on him and sinister conflicts of interest. No, because he is the conflict of interest. He's a fucking billionaire with a huge corporation. He has had complaints about journalists, but never sought to delegitimize journalism itself. He never would. He owns a media company. Wow, I think you just owned yourself there, man. He built that company from scratch without noteworthy melodrama. Trump got into real estate courtesy of his father, who gave and lent him large amounts of money as he sought to grow that fortune, and he spread lawsuits and bankruptcies like weeds. Bloomberg is fanatical about recruiting top-notch talent and empowering it. Trump picks a mix of standouts and stooges and disempowers them, if they're lucky. If they're not, he disembowels them. Yeah, you know, I'd really like to see Trump disembowel someone. That would be fun. Um, Ask Jeff Sessions, who probably considers Mel Gibson's end in Braveheart preferable to his endless mortification. <laughs> and these fucking... These people are so... What the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, I'd prefer being humiliated in public by my president. Well, I get paid huge amounts of money and control one of the most powerful intelligence agencies in the world. I'd prefer to be murdered rather than that. Whatever. Uh, Bloomberg's top aides say that with him, loyalty is a two-way street. With Trump, it goes in only one direction. Bloomberg's administration was light on ethical scandals. Trump's president... <laughs> yes, stop and frisk is not an ethical scandal. It never happened, peeps. It never happened. That's, that's what I'm going to tell everyone from now on. When something horrible happens, when I, when I systemically discriminate against uh, black and brown people, I'm going to say it never happened. Never happened. Never happened. Just like, just like there were no fucking scandals during um, Obama's administration. Every fucking liberal I've ever read or heard is always like, there were no scandals during Obama's administration. It was great. There were no drones. He wasn't the deporter in chief. He didn't let the banks fucking do whatever the fuck they wanted. No, he was so And then they come. I'm sorry, people. Bloomberg's mayoral administration was light on ethical scandals. Trump's presidential administration, well, why even waste the keystrokes? Trump is a Potemkin philanthropist, so much so that a Washington Post reporter, David Fronthold, won a Pulitzer Prize for exposing all the fakery in the Trump Foundation, and the Attorney General of New York opened an investigation into it. Bloomberg is the real deal, supporting a carefully chosen array of causes genuinely dear to him. Eight years ago, he signed the Giving Pledge, by which billionaires around the world have agreed to donate more than half of their wealth. And the last two years alone, he's given away more than $1 billion. <laughs> he has $50 billion, and he signed on to this eight years ago. What the fuck? Actually, if you want to learn more about how much of a scam, a fucking grift, the giving pledge that we hear about Bill Gates and fucking Warren Buffett being a member, uh, being involved in, if you want to hear about how much of a grift that is, you need to listen to a podcast um, called Citations Needed. They did a whole episode about it. It's fucking ridiculous. Anyway, let's, let's get done with this 
this turd of an article. He has gaping blind spots, which were described well in a recent story about his potential candidacy by his Times colleagues Alexander Burns and Cynthia Ember. I was floored that he digressed in an interview with Burns to wonder about the accusations against Charlie Rose, the news anchor who was dismissed from the shows that he hosted on CBS, PBS, and Bloomberg's own cable network after numerous women accused him of sexual harassment. The report on Rose was thorough and persuasive. And though Bloomberg during, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So Bloomberg doesn't believe that Charlie Rose sexually harassed people. Hmm. Makes me wonder what Bloomberg's been up to with his secretary. Anyway, and though Bloomberg during his mayorality, the fuck, famously rode the subways. Wow. What a man of the people. He never managed to seem of the subways. But then, the 2016 election has left me confused about who should, could, and does have the ability to connect with the middle class and blue-collar Americans. Many of them saw a champion in Trump. My God, I fucking wonder why. When we had fucking Hillary Clinton, who didn't give a fuck about the middle class, said, hey, you're going to get nothing and you're going to like it because you've got nowhere else to go. And then Trump's like, hey, you know what? Mexicans. They're the ones doing it. Fucking Mexicans. And you know what else? We're going to lower your taxes. We're going to do this. We're going to give you jobs. We're going to get out of trade deals that have decimated my home state and the entirety of the Midwest. I wonder why Trump got so many votes from middle class and blue collar Americans. I wonder why. Anyway, it's funny. Republican voters came to embrace Trump, and then Republican lawmakers meekly followed suit. Democratic voters are probably less inclined to embrace Bloomberg, but he has pumped substantial sums of money into initiatives regarding gun control, LGBT rights, climate change, climate profiteering, and more that matter to them. That doesn't make him the best choice. It certainly doesn't make him their likely one. But I hope it elicits their respect. And if he pursues this thing, an open-minded assessment. So many of the virtues lost on Trump are found in him. Let's celebrate that as a way of making sure that the party's eventual nominee possesses them in robust measure. That is a wonderful story by the New York Times' very own Frank Bruni, who likes to suck billionaire cock, apparently. Actually, I wanted to bring up two of his other articles. Um, let's see here. Democrats' top secret formula for victory. Stop obsessing about ideology. It's about personality. Yes, Hillary was a great personality, wasn't she? And Obama, who had a affable personality to many. Yeah, he was a great president, wasn't he? And the other one I wanted to bring up, crazy poor Middle Easterners. The Middle East could prosper if it could put its past behind it. Jesus fucking Christ. So all I want to say about this briefly is that we don't need, we don't need any more fucking billionaires. And uh, this Frank Bruni or Brunei or whatever the fuck is, is just a fucking asshole. <laughs> I, I fucking hate Michael Bloomberg. He is a climate profiteer. He is a racist. He instituted systemically racist policies in New York City. And I hope he burns in hell. Doesn't mean I don't think he'll be the Democratic nominee. There's a kind of beautiful symmetry between 
two billionaires fighting it out. And if it's not going to be Oprah Winfrey, because we all know that we need celebrities to be president now, then why not Bloomberg? After all, as he said in this horrible article, he's been a Democrat, a Republican, and an Independent. What a guy! You get all... It's the fucking trifecta, people. What an amazing character. Anyway, I thought you all would find that interesting just to see the kind of the... See inside the beautiful mind of the liberal intelligentsia in our media. Let us all put them on a sacrificial pyre. Well, anyway, all that out of the way, we'll be right back after this. Margaret, I write to you not only to express the almost exploding rigidity of my turret trouser rooster, as I think of you in these lonely, cold nights, but to reaffirm the righteousness of our cause. General Bezos has a singular vision about the future of our great nation, in which the buying and selling of men shall not be infringed, and it is the duty of any self-respecting son of the soil to take up arms in this great world war against the Sea Lab Union. Still, the Black Army of the Watery Deep is a ferocious cabal. Murphy, that wretched Bolshevik cur, has set a fire in the hearts of some of the lesser races and the poor white traders that is seemingly unquenchable. That General Bezos survived the missile attack on that wretched Black Friday when so many of our greatest MSNBC pundits and home shopping network executives did not, can only testify to his commission from Almighty God to rule the world as a supreme priestly king. Truly, it was a miracle. We in the Amazonian 1st Infantry shall not rest until our squadron of same-day bomb delivery gyrocopters seek out and destroy the tyrant Murphy and utterly destroy him and his rabble of pinko rats. I'll miss you, Margaret. I'll miss your touch, your familial likeness to our ma. Kiss the children for me and never fail to use the whip on their care.com Puerto Rican nanny whenever the opportunity arises. Eternally yours, Chad. see monkeys that's the show i'd like to thank all my subscribers to the audio podcast and the youtube subscribers if you're new to leftendo and would like to subscribe just search leftendo in apple podcast and hey while you're there leave me a review but be gentle or else lube me up first you can find me at anarcho murphy and the show at leftendo on the bird site where you can get updates on games i'm currently playing including screenshots and short videos plus my own beautiful brand of cynical communalist humor Anyway, Sea Monkeys, thanks for listening. Walla Luigi forever. Adios. Whoa.